I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week... We have finally arrived at the NXT episode that originally aired on July 24th, 2013, which means we are talking about the crowning of the first ever women's champion. Yeah! Which is the only thing that happens on this episode, right, Bob? It's It was it's a rare 20-minute episode of NXT, right? <laughs> you know, if it had been, I feel like I would have gotten roughly the same thing out of it in some ways. <laughs> Welcome to episode 10 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we discussed Charlotte Flair's debut match with Elle Collins, so that was fucking awesome. That was so amazing. Oh my god. Oh, they were so great. And we are keeping that momentum going with this episode's epic women's championship match, and you know, some other stuff, which uh, we will get to on Bob's Breakdown. The wrestling term of the week is back right after these sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. And of course, we will finish things up here with the Cheap Pop Quiz. But before any of that, let's catch up on the answers to last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz, which was focused entirely on that women's title match I've been talking about. So last episode, Bob, question number one was, which of the following matches is the main event of next week's episode? Is it A, Sheamus versus Luke Harper, despite the fact that it should be Paige versus Emma in the finals of the NXT Women's Championship Tournament? Is it B, The Ascension, making their debut as a tag team against Mickey Keegan and Aiden English, despite the fact that it should be Paige versus Emma in the finals of the NXT Women's Championship Tournament? Was it C, Tyler Breeze, making his debut against Angelo Dawkins, despite the fact that it should be Paige versus Emma in the finals of the NXT Women's Championship Tournament? Or was it D, Paige versus Emma in the finals of the NXT Women's Championship Tournament? And as you now know, Bob, the answer was A, Sheamus versus Luke Harper, and that is the one you picked, so you are correct. I, I'm pleased I got it correct. I am sorry to be correct about this. <laughs> Question number two, speaking of that Women's Championship match, it gets a full 13 minutes of television time in the ring, not even including entrances and whatever. Dating back from this show on July 17th, 2013, when is the last time a women's match got 13 minutes on WWE television? Was it A, about four months ago at WrestleMania 29? That WrestleMania actually had the one women's match it was sketched to have cut from that show, so that was fun. Uh, was it B, a year and a half ago at WrestleMania 28? Also no. Was it C, two and a half years ago at WrestleMania 27? Also no. Was it D, I don't even know because it was too far back, but I got to 2009 before I gave up in disgust. That is correct. That is what you picked, but you graciously agreed to not take the point for that one. I did. It, <laughs> I could hear how, how pained you were, and I was like, you know, I'm not going to profit off of Miles suffering. That was originally going to be a much more carefully worded and like, <laughs> you know, up in the air question. But as I was researching it, I was getting so mad and I couldn't follow it through. I was even thinking about following it through for this episode and telling everybody what it actually was. But you know what? It was too depressing. So no. You could possibly go all the way back and never find a satisfactory answer. So perhaps it is best to leave it at 
There's a 13-minute match now, and let us uh, build a better world from there. Absolutely. And question number three, Bob, for the first time, I asked you to just tell me who was going to win a match. That was Paige versus Emma for the Women's Championship. A, Paige. B, Emma. C, draw. D, a third wrestler who gets thrown in at the last minute, as happens sometimes in wrestling. And Bob, you chose A, Paige, and you were correct. I can't believe I got that one. You nailed it. I normally am so bad at that stuff. I watch every match and go, I have no idea who's going to win. <laughs> you are a lifetime 1-0 in wrestling match picks, Bob. Congratulations. I am. Oh, man. As long as I never guess another one, I'll be great. So that means you picked up two points for last week's episode. <laughs> Did not get a question wrong. We are quickly moving through uh, your second <laughs> I know. your second win. So, uh, Bob, I hope you don't mind that this time around, the questions are uh, maybe a little bit harder. There might be five options for each question this time. <laughs> I feel like that's fair. I, if nothing else, I think it proves that you're a good teacher. That's what it shows. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, with that, let's get into the match we have just been talking about, because it's time for Bob's Breakdown. The episode starts with a little bit of reflection from Paige and Emma on their journey to the NXT Women's Championship. Yeah, that was cool. Even before the uh, the opening credits, that was. Yeah, it's got moody piano music and some talking head moments. And for a second, I thought I was watching the season finale of Road Rules or something. <laughs> it was very moody. So the episode proper starts and it's Tom Phillips and Brad Maddox on commentary. My initial reaction was meh. But you know what? They do a pretty okay job. Yeah, I I have some things to say about the commentary, which I think we'll get to a little bit later. But yeah, actually, uh, I was disappointed too when I realized it wasn't Regal on this match, but I thought mm. Maddox did a really good job. I agree, and I, I wanted to tag you in a little bit about this just to ask, what do you think makes a good commentator and what makes for good commentator chemistry? I think a, uh, a good commentator is someone who, well, okay, so... As long as they're talking about and advancing the story playing out in the ring, I think that's good commentary. You see a lot of wrestling where the, the announcers like start arguing with each other and don't actually talk about the match, which is really oh, no. infuriating. And also sometimes they don't do a good job of putting over the match. They don't do a good job of making it seem like what's happening in front of you is cool and important. So mm. they should be doing that. And that's what I think really Maddox did in this one. He was so over the top, which normally mm. can be really annoying with him. But in this case, yes. he wasn't doing it in a way like, you know, in previous iterations of WWE, you might have certain commentators calling a women's match who might say constantly call attention to their looks or something like uh. that. Um, but Maddox didn't do that at all. He was super impressed with the match quality and really seemed into what was happening and really excited about it and made it feel really important. And I thought he did a really good job. And I, I agree. As for chemistry between them, I think that you usually have one person who's like the straight man who should be trying to be objective, you know, and they usually, you know, they have a soul, right? They have some morality <laughs> that'll come out sometimes if a, a heel is doing something really evil, but they try to be objective. And then you've got the color commentator who is usually either a former wrestler or other like big person in the industry who can talk about 
you know, actually knowing the moves and kind of lend an air of authenticity to their commentary mm. or someone who's just being an asshole or both. A lot of the time it's both. So, well, good job, Tom and Brad. You guys did pretty dang good. All right. So our first ever NXT Women's Championship match starts. It is not the main event, though. Though it should be, and fuck NXT for not having it as the main event. <laughs> so we get entrances, and Emma gets to dance her entire theme song this time, mm-hmm. and the crowd dances with her. Then Paige comes out, and the audience screams, which is very much in keeping with the spirit of Paige's whole thing. This is the weirdest energy I've seen from a crowd, because they are all really excited, and there's dueling chants of Emma and Paige. But ultimately, everyone's just really stoked for the match in general. Yeah. Miles, is that typical for a babyface versus babyface match? Sometimes, if you do it right. I mean, this is also the very end of a taping, interestingly. So this crowd has been there for a while. So it's actually pretty impressive. This crowd is still, you know, and a testament to the fact that they care about this tournament. They care about these two women and who wins the championship. That they are dueling chance. You know, you'll hear a lot of dueling chants in babyface versus babyface matches. You know, I want to talk about this a little bit more uh, later in the show, but for now I'll just say this match means a lot. And the people watching it, I think, recognize that they were seeing something that hadn't been done in WWE in quite some time, namely a really good, long, competitive, intense uh, women's match where it felt like a match where you didn't You could have swapped out the genders. You know what I mean? It was really well told. They didn't do anything. They didn't slow anything down or do anything um, special because they were women. And, you know, both of these women had now had some training from Sarah Del Rey, which we talked a little bit about last episode. And you're seeing a different kind of women's match for WWE. And since the show is taped in full sale and it's the same crowd a lot of the time, these people are really invested in these performers and they're really invested in women's wrestling mattering in NXT. And I think what you're hearing from the crowd is the payoff to that because they just care so much and they're so excited that the match was so good, almost more than who wins. I kind of got that vibe. I'm really glad to hear that. So to cover kind of what the match ended up looking like, the match opens with them locking into a grapple and they test each other out early on. It's a lot of trying to pin one another very early on. And then Emma gets Paige down an arm behind her in a submission hold. I hadn't seen Emma do anything quite that aggressive before. And then Paige flips out of it. Emma gets Paige onto the ropes to do her spider hold. Paige's arms and legs locked Mm -hmm. onto the ropes. And then Emma gets her legs locked around Paige's arms. The match so far, fairly normal. And then Paige gets out of the hold and kicks Emma in the gut, sending her through the ropes onto the pads outside. (laughs) Yeah, it was this great moment of, oh, shit, someone's not playing Emma's game, much less even than Summer Rae wasn't playing Emma's game. It's like Paige is here to win and scream a lot, but mostly to win. We cut to commercial, and when we get back, Emma is in the center of the ring being worked over by Paige. Paige tries some arm torture, tries a pin, tries a suplex into a bridge to pin Emma again. Finally, she just throws Emma into the corner with a certain genese, fuck off, will you? (laughs) And then Paige stomps on Emma's chest and screams. It's looking bad, but Emma is able to turn the match around enough to get Paige into the corner and then throw herself bodily at Paige. Yep. I mean, hashtag same, Emma. Hashtag same. (laughs) So Emma drags Paige to the center and tries to do hold after hold, and they're writhing around the mat like snakes in an episode of Planet Earth. 
And then Paige has Emma down on the mat now and lifts her back legs to bend her back to the breaking point. We know Emma can do it, but Emma and Paige sold it really well. So Paige goes for the corner, getting up onto the ropes and aiming for Emma. But Emma climbs up after grabbing hold of her and then flipping her down into a suplex on the mat below. Paige is curled into a ball. Emma is dazed. The crowd is chanting, this is awesome. And Emma goes Mm -hmm. for the pin, but Paige hooks her foot on the rope, forcing Emma to let go. They struggle to their feet and Paige executes the Paige Turner going for the pin and ending the match. Needless to say, Paige starts screaming some more. All the other women wrestlers come out in regular clothes and gather around Paige to congratulate her. And I thought that was really heartwarming and I'm glad they did it. It also seemed a little cheesy, but ultimately I think it was the right call. And I wanted to ask your thoughts about that as a, because I think it's a thing you would never see in men's wrestling that just wouldn't happen. It does, but yeah, you see it. I mean, it does. Yeah, Um, you will see a lot of the time, like the entire roster come out to congratulate somebody for a big moment. Oh shit! Now it's making me think about Bo Dallas and how everyone's like, "But fuck Bo Dallas." (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it doesn't happen super often. It's usually reserved for really big moments. I think you see it more often with women because really big moments in women's wrestling tend to also be absorbed into the narrative of like the progression of gender equality in this industry. So okay. when you get a kind of a big moment in a women's match like that, regardless of whether or not you think it should be, it's impossible to separate it from the idea of gender equality progression in wrestling. So I can see that. I think that's why you get a lot more, you know, the women all come out, triple H comes out, you know, so, yeah, that, that's why I think you're seeing that here. And, and it does happen more with women, though, for those reasons. OK, yeah, Triple H does come out. And that was the first time I've seen Triple H. I did not know what Triple H looked like. I was going, <laughs> Who's this large square man? That's so funny. I like imagining somebody who doesn't know what Triple H looks like. I, yeah, I just thought he was some guy who had a pretty nice suit and really huge shoulders. It was going, oh, he seems a reasonably good looking man. I wonder what he's doing here. And now we get a package from Zeb Coulter and Antonio Cesaro that has been green screened to look like it was filmed in a shack of a conspiracy <laughs> theorist dwelling in the woods. And Zeb Coulter has sideburns and viewpoints that would not be out of place in the 1890s. So they accuse Sami Zayn of coming to this country illegally. It's a lot of dog whistle <sighs> racism being played for shock value and laughs, I guess. Yay. I know. It was like accidentally opening an email from my great uncle. Um, (laughs) It made me want to dig my claws into the body of white hegemony in the United States, tear out its beating heart, and then set fire to it. Uh, I'm glad we had the same reaction. That's crazy. Yeah. My inner Hufflepuff badger of rage and justice was so angered, just outraged, feral, rabid about this thing. But I will say, the only silver line to this whole thing is that Zeb Coulter is played as something of a crackpot. No, there is no tone to this that suggests, oh, Zeb Coulter is a normal person. It's like, no, Zeb Coulter probably hasn't taken a bath yeah. in a month. <laughs> and I swear they made his nose look extra red to give him that alcoholic look. Yeah. I don't know whether that's just that guy, like he lived some life and that's what happened, or if they did that, but they, the lighting did not try to diminish it. And then Cesaro's played absolutely as an opportunist, so neither of them looks cool for doing this. They both look like asshole losers. So yes. 
but to wash that foul taste from out of our mouths, it's match two with Tyler Breeze versus Angelo Dawkins. It's a very different taste in our mouths now. Uh, I'm not sure what the yeah, flavor is. Yeah, tell us what this tastes like, Bob. Oh, geez. Um, like going back in time, I guess. Because Breeze, he Zoolanders down the ramp. Like it's a runway phone in hand, filming himself the entire time. Yep. He's wearing blue leggings with huge fringe furry bits on the calves. He is. Honestly, I know that they were aiming for high fashion. But instead, the outfit to me looked like a cyberpunk raver that wanted to look understated for a job interview. That's a great description. (laughs) It just was like a cyberpunk raver going, I don't want to be too over the top. That would be overkill. And you're like, why did you not commit to it? Yeah. You're going to the rave. Do it. There is something very futuristic about his look. And and it's understated, like you said, but it is definitely there. I think it kind of... I feel like it helps him kind of feel like a, you know, like super fashion forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's in the future, but it's a future that we're not prepared to fully commit to. He has traveled back in time to teach us the ways of fashion from his people. Yeah. Oh, so the match start is delayed as Breeze takes up about 73 selfies doing the perfect (laughs) blue steel pout. It is absolutely the perfect blue steel pout. I would venture to say it is better than uh, Ben Stiller's blue steel pout. Uh, Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, it was real good. And the ref's like, okay, that's enough of your gimmick now, sir. This is a wrestling match. If you want that much undivided attention from a moderately hostile audience, I'm afraid you need to go into stand-up comedy. Brutal. Hot takes about stand-up comedy. You know what? It's the right time for it. Okay. Breeze puts his phone down and Angelo Dawkins lunges for him. But oh shit, Breeze is actually a bit of a beast. Yeah, uh, he smacks Dawkins multiple times in the back and kicks him furiously, then stalks back to his phone to check his hair. Then Breeze goes back to do a spinning kick to Dawkins face and goes for the pin, winning the match. Angelo Dawkins, I don't know what you're up to now because I'm not allowed to know yet, nope. but you are a, a trooper. <laughs> oh, my God. And then Breeze is still taking selfies when the ref finally just grabs his arm and steers him out of the ring like, all right, take your gimmick and go, pal. <laughs> Like, the ref really was like, okay, no. We're done here. Yeah, this taping has a certain time limit, and this is not part of it. Get the fuck out. (laughs) All right, match three. Goth husbands are back. Yeah, they are. So Connor O'Brien and Rick Victor skulk to the ring like some real Halloween nerds. And Rick Victor is dressed as a cult leader, and Connor (laughs) O'Brien is dressed as the night sky, I guess. His leggings are... Covered in what I think are sparkly constellations. Yeah. And then in a very different aesthetic, coming down the ramp, we get team interesting facial hair. (laughs) Uh, Mickey Keegan's fluffy pointy goatee and Aiden English's hipster mustache joining the in-ring action. Yep. So Rick Victor is giving his lover an utterly unselfconscious massage in the corner, pumping him up for the match. I really appreciated that they massage one another like no one is watching. Yeah. Uh, the bell goes, and English has a fist ready going, Pip, Pip, Queensbury rules, what? <laughs> Connor runs right out of body checking to the ground. <laughs> he tags in Victor, handing English off for some chest slaps. They trade off sharing English like vampires, romantically passing a blood donor back and forth. <laughs> that's, that's what a vampire date is like. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> it does not translate well to film, these vampire dates. No, that's why we don't see them very often. 
<laughs> just like pass the human. I know. Oh man, that somebody just throws it, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, you can't!" <sighs> Whenever I say that, you have to stand up, walk them over, and then give them to me. Now it's all over the floor. Oh, <sighs> I have to clean this. Thanks, Chad. I hate this. Yeah. Oh, tip, Chad. Always throwing this <laughs> damn <laughs> humans. <laughs> Chad, the worst vampire. <laughs> yeah, Victor and O'Brien definitely do not hang out with Chad. No, no, no. They're too good for Chad. They are. So then Victor tags in O'Brien. They whip English into the ropes. He slingshots back to the two of them and they pick him up together. So he's hammocked between them. Then they throw English to the ground like, that's what I think of your pour over coffee gentrifier. <laughs> Keep the weird <laughs> gothic world we come from weird. And then English makes a few seconds worth of comeback enough to stagger to his feet and probably mumble, pour over respects the bean. (laughs) But no, O'Brien and Victor tag, so they're both in the ring for five seconds, which is enough time to do a coordinated primal scream, then run at English from opposite sides of the ring, knocking him onto his ass. Victor goes for the pin. Poor Mickey Keegan didn't even get a look in. Nope. Miles, so this is part of the whole Ascension is Rising thing, and I'm enjoying it. Is it part of a typical story that to become a real threat, you have to just beat some bozos first? And how many bozos does it take to equal a cool match? <laughs> Usually when what's you're the, doing... It's, what's it's, the math? It's very mathematical, yeah. It's very very rational. Um, usually when you're debuting for the first time or when you're, like, doing a new thing... So, like, Conor O'Brien had been doing the Ascension thing for a while, and as we've discussed, I think, there was a previous team called the Ascension too. But this yeah. is the first iteration of the Conor O'Brien, Rick Victor Ascension tag team. So they're probably, especially in NXT, they're probably going to get a couple of jobber squashes to start off their, their tag team career. And then, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. They will eventually start doing more things. But honestly, like, this particular time in NXT, also just not super great for tag teams. Um... You know, obviously, Corey Graves and Adrian Neville are the champions. They got thrown together. The Wyatt family's still there. Um, but aside from that, we, you know, I guess Enzo Amore and Colin Cassidy, sort of. We haven't really seen oh, them compete geez. in tag team action at all. And also, <laughs> fuck them. Um, yeah. But, yeah, there, it, it's not a great time for the NXT tag team division. So, you're going to see a lot of squashes uh for for teams when they're not competing for the championships it's match four the main event Sheamus versus Luke Harper for some reason (laughs) Miles why Luke Harper specifically is he just the better wrestler is that all it is yeah I mean he's like look they had Sheamus clearly they had Sheamus at the set of tapings for some reason They wanted to use him for some stuff. They had him kind of help Neville and Graves beat the Wyatt family for the tag team titles. And now it's the end of the tapings. It's the main event. We've got a main roster star. Let's put him in a match with somebody. We don't want to put him in a match with Bray Wyatt because we're in the middle of building him up. And we don't want Sheamus to lose necessarily. So let's put him in against one of the Wyatt family guys. Cool. Let's do Harper because he's a better wrestler and like more established. All right. From the outside of it, I could see the rational reason of going, well, we have to use him. This is a way to use him. But 
in narrative, it seemed like it was just suggesting that Luke Harper was unusually mad about it. Right. It was like, oh, I'm fighting for the honor of my family. But nothing else about the entire match seemed like Luke Harper was, you know, deeply emotionally invested in a way that no one else was and was therefore like, oh, I'm doing this to, you know, get back. I feel like they wrote themselves into a corner a little bit on this one where it's like, all right, we're going to do this little mini feud between Sheamus and the Wyatts. Okay, we only have one match to blow it off. You know, we don't want to have Bray lose, but we don't have Sheamus lose. All right, let's let's feed Sheamus one of the henchmen. <laughs> one of the, just feed him a henchman. Yeah, he needs to grow strong. Oh my god. Okay, Sheamus enters, and just for listeners at home, his name is spelled S H E A M U S. Yes. Which I am almost 90% sure is spelled that way to stave off Americans pronouncing it as Seamus if there is no H in there. I think that is a tactical decision because I have never seen it spelled that way in Ireland. That's probably true. But Seamus is wearing a t-shirt and underoos so he looks like a dad after work. Just off with the pants, chilling on the couch. (laughs) And then the mists part. The Wyatt family lumbers out with the rocking chair. And uh, now Luke Harper and Seamus are both in the ring. And listeners, I need you to understand that these are both long boys, okay? I know you are picturing normal dudes. They are not. They are two big, lanky chunks. Yep. That are are like around 6'4". Okay. Seamus takes his shirt off. Oh my God, he's so pale. He's like a sexy, super cut ghost. Yeah. Uh, that is one of the central jokes surrounding Seamus for his entire career, is that he is Aww. so white, you got to wear shades. Oh, how he is, but such a lot of good ghost boy. Yeah. All right. The match starts and Seamus is doing good. So good that Luke Harper rolls out to go get a pep talk from Papa Bear Wyatt. And I guess it is not as effective as he'd hoped because when Harper gets back in the ring... He does end up on the mat with Seamus dropping down to sandwich Harper's face between his knees, giving him a <laughs> close-up view of his crotch. Indeed. So I guess that's a win if you're playing a different game. Uh, the ref breaks it up. Boo! But anyway, the flavor of this match is very much throwing blows. It's a lot more brawly than I'm used to. Mm. Miles, is that their style of wrestling, or is this just about what's appropriate for the story? It's their style of wrestling. I think... Seamus is very much a brawler who's, you know, his whole thing is that he's big and strong and punches and kicks really hard. And Luke Harper is similar. He, uh, you know, he's just a big dude who who fights and he can, you know, they can both do other things. But this is the style you're going to see both of these guys use most often. Okay, because it looks like a pretty legit fight in that regard. Yeah, and Seamus is actually known for being legitimately tough. And so his matches can be very fun because his opponents, he will tell his opponents to just like actually lay into him because he can take it, you know? Oh, geez. He's really good at taking punishment. And so his matches tend to look more realistic uh, in that regard. Oh, man. This ghost is getting sexier by the minute. Yeah, Seamus is pretty badass, actually. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So Seamus gets Harper over the top rope. And then when Harper tries to get to his feet again, Seamus tangles him in the rope. And then... In the immortal words of the thing, it's clobbering time. Seamus gives him 10 solid chest punches in a row. And then Rowan tries to break it up and Seamus grabs him and gives him the 10 count clobbering as well. The thing would be proud. (laughs) And then Harper body checks Seamus out onto the pads. And when he stands up, he gets clotheslined by Rowan. 
we cut to Bray Wyatt nodding like Emperor Palpatine. Yes. Good. <laughs> and then we go to commercial. And when we come back, oh no, Seamus is being beaten in the corner by Harper. There's a struggle for control over the match, but Harper eventually gets Seamus positioned on the mat and goes to the rope to slam down onto him. But Seamus rolls out of the way. And then Seamus goes for the rope now and Harper follows him. And then rather than grapple with him, Seamus just repeatedly headbutts Harper. Yep. And then Seamus is forced to leap down before Harper pulls him off the ropes. And then Harper goes for a clothesline and gets Seamus down. But Seamus struggles out and Harper makes an expression I can only describe as what if you showed a gorilla a magic trick with food and it was both stunned and hungry. <laughs> I, you do you know which expression I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I absolutely do. <laughs> okay, good because I'm like I don't know how else to describe that look, listeners. We have to show you a picture of it. It is very distinctive. It's a lot of mouth hanging open and tongue wagging, and I love it. <laughs> so Seamus picks up Luke Harper and wraps him across his back, falling down onto him. He gets up, proudly beating his nearly transparent yet beefy <laughs> chest. And then delivers his finishing move, a brogue kick, right to Harper's face. Seamus pins him to end the match. A brogue kick, the only kick with an accent. Aww. And then we cut to Bray Wyatt, laughing hysterically and doing a tea and cakes opera clap for Seamus. Yeah, uh, you know, he's a crazy person, you know, so. Yeah, I'm sure there's no ominous reason for that, which will become apparent later. Or maybe there isn't an ominous reason that will become apparent for that later. So that was that. I like Seamus. I like Seamus too. And uh, we're not going to be ringing the bell for him because he does Yay. get, I believe, one more appearance in NXT. But it's going to be a little while. So uh, Seamus, one reason to watch, you know, main roster TV. Although he's, I believe he's dealing with some injuries right now. Which Aww. will happen when you tell people to hit you for real. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I shouldn't feel too bad for it. (laughs) Wait a second. You might be culpable in this situation to some extent. Well, thank you for that breakdown, Bob. Is there anything else you'd like to add about this episode before we move on? Um, the women's match was really great. Uh, the rest of it to some extent felt kind of like filler, Mm -hmm. which was fine. Because, I mean, I don't think you can have... Hit after hit, especially if you do it in taping sessions like that. I mean, you just can't use your performers in that way. Like, they would die. Yeah. So, I get it. Uh, It was just kind of a weird show to go like, and here's this really cool thing. And then here's some other things that we had left in the pantry that we wanted to get rid of. (laughs) It's weird because I feel like in any other last show of the taping, you would have the championship match go at the end of the show. And that would send the crowd home happy at the end. But... They decided to to not do that. So, you know, because sexism. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah the, you know, last batch of the taping, you'll probably get a lot of filler and maybe one really important thing. In this case, the important thing was the women's title. Now it's time to get into the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. So, Bob for this episode what did your elf eyes see my elf eyes saw another installment of butt watch oh butt watch is back what do we got well i assume you already saw it but seamus has a cross on his butt he does a celtic cross he does and okay it's green but part of me was like 
But is that the glow in the dark green, Seamus? <laughs> is it? <laughs> Miles, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes were interested in uh, the women coming down to congratulate Paige uh, on her match. I counted, I believe, seven of them. And I was trying to identify them. In most cases, it was easy. Charlotte, Bailey, Sasha Banks were all out there. Um, I believe this is the first appearance on camera. I could be wrong about this because she might have been on camera elsewhere. Alexa Bliss, who will become important later on. I believe this was her first showing. Um, She was the tiny blonde girl. Alicia Fox was there, which was interesting because, again, she's also a main roster diva, but I guess she was spending some significant time in NXT during this period. Uh, One of the women, I believe, was Raquel Diaz, a.k.a. Shaw Guerrero, the daughter of Eddie Guerrero. Um, I'm not positive that it's her because I haven't seen enough of her wrestle, to be honest, but I I think it was. And then the last one, who was the super tall blonde woman, I have no idea who she is. And it's interesting because I... I didn't see her walk down the ramp. I think she might have, like, gotten in the ring. She might have been sitting ringside or something. Unless I missed her walking down the ramp. But, um, Hmm. anyway, no idea who she is. I I tried to figure it out, and I don't know. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of fun for wrestling fans. Yeah, I definitely was going, I don't recognize some of you. Who are you, strangers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcaneers hear? My Vulcaneers heard the pre-show bit whenever Paige says... When it comes to it, I'll beat her. I'm the fighter. She's the dancer. Mm -hmm. And there was moody piano music playing in the background. And Paige said it with a level of pathos that transported me instantly to a tragic, beautiful lesbian romance story that I wrote in my head immediately, where for some reason, Paige is a fighter and Emma is a dancer and they can't be together. And Paige has to win for reasons. And then they can't be together because how could you, you know, love somebody who betrayed you in this way? <laughs> so I I went on a rich internal journey. <laughs> Paige said that. Credit to Paige's delivery for uh, for sending you down that road. So, Miles, I assume your Vulcaneers probably heard something a little bit less insane. Yes, a little bit. Um, I don't know. I We talked about the announcing earlier. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But I do want to say, at one point, Tom Phillips referred to Paige and Emma as superstars and then quickly corrected himself and referred to them as divas. He was like, oh. these two superstars, uh, these two divas, go fuck yourself, Tom. Go away. Do you think they're allowed to call them superstars? Or do you think, because I wonder if they have like a vocabulary sheet. I'm sure he was told to do that. I'm sure he was just trying to be safe and keep his job, but still. Fuck the man. Yeah. I don't know. Fight the power, Tom. What are you doing? Do what's right, Tom. Don't be a cog. Tom from 2013. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that we uh, yell into the past. Yeah, more feelings in that one than I thought there were going to be. But, Bob, what (laughs) did your human heart feel? I was genuinely moved by the women's match and the crowd investment. And it felt so good to have the crowd be unambiguously excited for the match as a whole and not really caring who won, just going like, this is fucking great. And I'm Mm -hmm. so excited about it. And I'm glad it's happening. And I'm glad I'm here for it because that's often how I feel throughout all matches, except, you know, unless Mason Ryan's there or unless Enzo Moore is there. (laughs) I want Enzo Moore to like, you know accidentally fall off of a tall cliff sure sure those kinds of things but uh, yeah it was really amazing i loved it 
That actually feeds really nicely into mine because... So this was the first episode of NXT I ever watched. Oh, really? Yeah, the first time I came and found NXT, I did it because I heard about this women's match. And so I was like, well, I gotta check that out. My friend Eric um, watches all the wrestling somehow, and so he told me about this match because uh, I wasn't watching NXT at the time. And so I came and found this match and just loved it, loved every minute of it, felt very similar to how I imagined the crowd was feeling. I don't know if I watched the whole thing right then and there because I think Breeze came out and I was a little bit, eh, I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right reaction. So that happened, and then they're like, our main event, Luke Harper versus Sheamus. And I was like, okay, I'll, you know, we'll, I'll pick this up another time. <laughs> 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 Obviously, I I later went back and watched everything, but this was the, the Paige versus Emma Women's Championship uh, Tournament Final was the first NXT match I ever watched. I have lots of feelings about it. I love it. I think it's a fantastic story. I love that the story of the match is kind of like, you know, they start off being really, you know, kind of just trying to straight up wrestle each other and being equal to each other. And yeah. it turns out that Paige is a little bit better than Emma at that. And there's that great moment where Emma does the move to Paige and then starts doing her little dancing taunt. It was right after the tar the tarantula, the spider move in the ropes. As mm. you pointed out in your breakdown, Bob, Emma starts to dance a little bit, does her move, and Paige kicks her in the stomach and knocks her out of the ring. And at that point, Paige is in control of the match for a while until Emma suddenly becomes more aggressive and kind of yes. goes to another level. And at one point after that, she takes over the match again, hits Paige with some move or another, and does the, the dance taunt again, but, like, there's no smile on her face and her arms are moving more aggressively. And it's like, she's fucking serious about this. She cares about winning this match. And then Paige has to then take it up another level in response. And then the finish kind of sees them throwing moves back and forth that at the time you weren't seeing women do. When Paige started kneeing Emma in the head yes. on the side of the ring, I remember going like, what the fuck? Women don't throw knee strikes. Not in WWE anyway. And then Emma hits a fucking superplex off the top rope. And it was yeah. like, okay, women definitely don't do that in WWE. So I just, I have a lot of feelings about this match. I just love it so much. It meant a lot to me at the time, and it means a lot to me now going back and looking at it. So I just can't emphasize enough how much I loved rewatching this match. So thank you, Bob, for doing this podcast with me. That's how I feel about this. Aww, <laughs> uh, I was, I'm really glad to hear you sort of talk about your experience seeing it for the first time, because I have... No, I don't have that much frame of reference for a lot of it. So to me, seeing those moments, I was going, oh, that seems slightly unusual, but I don't have a lot of, you know, point of comparison. So perhaps it's not that unusual. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then to hear you with a lot of point of comparison going, no, that was shocking and original and shook up everything that we thought about women's wrestling. Yes. Everything that we thought, and certainly for WWE fans about women's wrestling, absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. It was, I, I love it. I love it so much. I'm so glad we got to this episode. I've been waiting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the sight, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. It is about time for the wrestling term of the week. But first, two weeks ago, the wrestling term of the week was hot tag. We had Elle Collins show up for the last episode, so Bob didn't get her fic in for that one. But now it is time for Bob's fanfic explaining the hot tag. So, Bob, take it away. All right. 
the hot tag. That's not the title of this piece, but I'm going to say it like it's the title. The hot tag. All right. Darcy looked dazedly across the ring at Lizzie. His eyes softened at the concern on her face, but his view was suddenly obscured by an elbow to the face from Louisa. (laughs) Caroline followed it up with a knee to the gut. He was trapped in the Bingley sisters' corner, being worked over as they attempted to soften him into submission. He couldn't quite tell which of them was talking. His ears were still ringing from the dropkick Carolyn had given him earlier. You chose Elizabeth? Elizabeth Bennett as your tag team partner? Well, really. Her hair is simply too missish. Her outfit is not even last season, but easily the season before that. <laughs> Her manners smack of the country with not a trace of the hot ton to be seen. Each barb punctuated with a slap to the chest. Louisa tenderly took Darcy's hand and began bending his fingers backwards. You certainly aren't required to team with someone like Elizabeth. Carolyn, for example, is a very fine tag team partner indeed. Her embroidery is excellent. Did you see the fine needlework she did on our costumes? She gestured to the embroidered rose thorns pricking a thumb. (laughs) Your imagination is very rapid. It jumps from opponent to tag team partner in a moment, Darcy grunted. And your imagination is too limited if the best you can imagine for yourself and your future is Elizabeth Bennet, Caroline hissed, tagging in to get Darcy in an armed submission hold. Darcy gathered his weight back on his heels and somersaulted forward out of the hold. Caroline pursued him, but Darcy turned and with his remaining strength, clotheslined Caroline to the mat. He crawled towards Elizabeth, his body bruised and wrapped from the ordeal of his exchanges with the Bingley sisters. The crowd screamed as he inched closer, just enough to feel the cool comfort of Lizzie's fingertips brush his. She ran at Carolyn, knocking her back down again, then climbed the ropes. Darcy chose me, and what is more, Miss Bingley, I chose him, and I do not let go of what is mine. And I can assure you that the tag team championship is most undoubtedly mine. Oh, shit! She leapt down gracefully, flipping in the air to land across Carolyn's body. The air rushed from Carolyn's lungs, leaving her unable to struggle out of the pin. All she could do was scowl up at Elizabeth in mute fury. Oh my god, I love it so much! (laughs) Injected into my veins! Bob, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I love that thing! I know. And thank you. Thank you so much to David Waters for giving me the gift of this idea to Miles for endlessly aiding and abetting me. Oh, my God. To Neve and Marissa and their continued support of the madness that is the world of pride and pinfalls. We're going to run with this concept as far as we can go, guys. So strap in. Absolutely. Speaking of strapping in, Bob, uh, the wrestling term of the week. Yeah. Is... Push. All right, Bob. So a push is when one wrestler takes their hands and like shoves their opponent. Okay. All right, cool. So that was the wrestling term of the week. Let's move <laughs> on. I mean, uh, sorry, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, in wrestling, a push is when a singles wrestler or a tag team starts consistently appearing on TV and is being presented in a way that makes them seem talented and or important. What? I totally thought it was going to be a physical thing. No, no, no. Oh, I feel so fooled. In other words, the character is rising in status because the creative team clearly likes them and is making them a regular focus of the wrestling show. 
Keep in mind, this has nothing to do with whether the crowd likes a wrestler or not, whether or not they get oh, a lot of audience no. pop. This is about what the show is doing with the characters. Okay. If a wrestler or a tag team starts winning a lot of matches and is frequently featured on TV, that's a good sign that they're getting a push. Sometimes pushes will start with the wrestlers squashing jobbers, as we've seen a lot, but that alone isn't really enough to call it a push. Pushing a wrestler usually entails involving them in running storylines and giving them victories over established characters. They might start getting more time on the show, or main eventing the show more often, or competing for championships more frequently. Sustained success and a more important role in the stories are the key elements in recognizing a push. So far in this journey, Bob, uh, there are a few major examples of pushes that we're seeing. Paige and Emma both qualify for reasons that are pretty obvious after this episode. It helps that they got to compete in a tournament. That's one of the classic ways of pushing people, having them go far in or win a tournament. Leo Kruger, I'd say, is also in the middle of a push right now. He came back, he had those videos, he got a couple of easy wins over like Angelo Dawkins and the like, and then he got a win over Sami Zayn. And then he beat Zayn and Cesaro, and very soon he will be competing for the NXT Championship, because that's what he won by winning that triple threat match. Um, Zayn himself got a pretty big push right out of the gate in a way you don't usually see uh, from newly debuting wrestlers as he won the two big matches on his first night and was quickly put into a long-running story with main roster superstar Cesaro. One might refer to this as strapping a rocket to his back because he got pushed right out the gate. Ah, okay. Corey Graves and Adrian Neville have also clearly been pushed recently while uh, any push Cassius Ono might have been due to receive kind of died when he was taken off TV. And of course, Mm. Bo Dallas was pushed right to the top when he won that Battle Royal back in Episode 2 and subsequently won the NXT Championship. By the way, the opposite of a push is a burial. Where one wrestler might be pushed, the other might be buried. This is usually seen when a wrestler starts losing a lot of matches and or is generally presented as being unimportant or a loser or a chump or whatever. Oh no, is that what happened to Kurt Hawkins? On the main roster, yes. (laughs) Um, Cassius Ono wasn't so much buried as he was just straight up taken off TV, like as a disciplinary action. But if they had Mm. made him lose a lot first, so he looked like a total chump, that would have been a burial. Fortunately, as a developmental company, NXT is all about building people up, so they try really hard not to bury people. But that's not to say it will never happen. All right, so come back in two weeks for our next episode to hear Bob's uh, fanfic explaining the push, which is definitely not a physical thing. Uh, As I now know. As you now know. All right, Bob, we got to close things out, and we're going to do that with the Cheap Pop Quiz. The advanced level, the intermediate level Cheap Pop Quiz. Question number one. The next episode of NXT has more than the average amount of dance-related content. What? Which of the following characters does not dance on that episode? Is it A, Emma? B, Mason Ryan? C, NXT General Manager Dusty Rhodes? D, NXT Champion Bo Dallas? Or E, a tag team from the main roster called Tons of Funk, whose gimmick is that they are a pair of 350-pound dudes who dance a lot. Oh my god. Okay. 
I'm going to say, I just can't see Mason Ryan dancing. I really hope he dances, but I can't see that happening. Okay. So hopefully I'm wrong. But All right. But your answer is B, Mason Ryan. Yeah. All right. Question number two, Bob. Also on the next episode, you will finally get some context for all those Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins fanfics. Thank God. The Shield, a trio of ruthless SWAT gear wearing badasses who have been terrorizing the main roster for the better part of a year, are returning to NXT. Why are they here? Is it A, they heard that Enzo Amore was talking shit about them and they're here to beat him and his buddy to death. B, this is the start of a new taping, and between this one and the last one, the Wyatt family made their debut on Raw by attacking the Shield. The Shield are here for a little payback. C. They don't think Adrian Neville deserves to be a tag team champion, since all he did was take Cassius Ono's spot, and they're here to correct that injustice. D. They're not here for any particular reason. They just run down to the (laughs) ring during the tag team main event and beat the piss out of everyone because they're psychopaths. (laughs) Or E. Like everyone else on this episode, they're here to dance. Oh... You've asked questions that appeal to my soul, and now my soul is at war with my brain. <laughs> oh, God. Um, given that the Wyatt family attacked Seamus out of nowhere, and that was a thing they did, I feel like, you know, maybe they're going to amp it up. Maybe they're just going to, like, randomly attack people, and maybe now that'll be their thing now. Okay, so you're picking B. This is the start of a new taping, and between this one and the last one, the Wyatt family made their debut on Raw by attacking the Shield, and they're here for payback. Yeah, I can see that happening. I can see the Wyatt family just going to stir shit up wherever. Fair enough. And question number three, Bob. Once again, you're about to be introduced to another NXT regular making their first appearance, as this character at least, on the next episode. The introduction comes in the form of a backstage interruption. What does this look like? Is it A, this person interrupts Corey Graves backstage by offering him drugs? (laughs) B, they interrupt Tyler Breeze backstage by making goofy faces at the camera while his back is turned. C, they interrupt Leo Kruger backstage by making fun of his accent. D, they interrupt Cesaro backstage by making fun of his accent. Or E, they interrupt Paige and Emma backstage by challenging them to a dance contest. Oh, boy. I have no idea. I, I'm just going to go with what I want to have happen. Okay. And I really want somebody backstage to challenge Emma and Paige to a dance contest. All right. So, E, they interrupt Paige and Emma backstage by challenging them to a dance contest. Later on, me is going to deeply regret having chosen that. <laughs> we will see. All right. Well, I think that's about all we got for this episode, Bob. Thank you so much once again, as always, for joining me. Oh, thank you. And uh, thanks to everyone listening to this right now. A few people in particular that we want to give shout outs to, most notably the people who have listened to our last episode and put their ridiculously cunning and stupid, but also cunning brains (laughs) to work on the RPG builds for Corey Graves and Adrian Neville. Yes, Josh Vasky made character sheets and I will be sharing those on Twitter for sure. 
Uh, they're already up on the Facebook, but I would also like to have them on our website at some point in the near future because they are rad. Yeah, in case anyone was wondering, the uh, the website stuff is usually done by me, and right now I have a baby that I'm dealing with, so that's a little bit by the wayside, but I will be catching up with that very soon. So keep an eye on NXTWrestlingFan.com for updates, because I promise there will be some. Yay! But also, you know, yay for baby. Yay for baby. Yeah, so Josh Vasky uh, put them, I believe it was 5th edition uh, yes. D&D character sheets. And so he uh, he did that fantastic work, and we appreciate the hell out of him for it. But uh, the person who we specifically shouted out in the last episode, uh, Chris Newton, host of Mega Dumbcast, among other uh, glorious things that he does, uh, who is his brain works along the lines of what can I do to make this into an RPG? Yes, <laughs> that's like what he does. Chris so, is amazing. I don't know how he does that. He decided to make the Corey Graves build in the card game Munchkin, and I love it so much. It's so good. The idea to do it in Munchkin is a genius move, and the build that he put together is fucking hilarious, so you can check that out on our Twitter account, and uh, that'll also be on the website soon. Yes. And then I also wanted to say a quick Chikara check-in because Al mm. Collins recommended Chikara. And boy. <laughs> Y'all need this update in your lives. Yeah. Uh, L, thank you. Because it's magical. It's so goofy and brilliant. I really, really enjoy it. And I can watch as much of it as I want because it doesn't mm -hmm. spoil me for anything else. And, guys... I get to watch baby NXT people before they're on NXT, and they're adorable. <laughs> it's like Muppet Babies, but wrestling. The fun part is going to be when a new person shows up on NXT who they signed after their Chikara days, and then you'll recognize them, and I'm very curious to see what happens, because I know it happens with, like, lots of people. <laughs> and then one more very exciting development. Yes! Because I don't have enough podcasts. No, you don't. <laughs> Tell us about the new one. The new one is called Garden Plots with Skeletor. Oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> it is a podcast that dares to ask the question, what if Skeletor started a gardening podcast? Because he's a real control freak. <laughs> he's a person who would want to obsess about moisture levels. It's a Skeletor from He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, in case anyone was unfamiliar with yes, the villain of that show. That, exactly that person. Uh -huh. And so this is his gardening podcast, which he does in between his many schemes to try and conquer Eternia and become the rightful ruler. And Skeletor is played by the brilliant Dan Mulcairin, and <laughs> his production assistant is played by the brilliant and hilarious Kit Mulcairin. The trailer for that drops on the 15th so you will be able to subscribe and get that feed and get that trailer starting on the 15th and then if you are wanting to get in on this Skeletor yells about plants and also he-man goodness we have a twitter account which is garden underscore plots and so you can start following that to see Skeletor just having a lot of strong feelings about things. So uh, just to provide some context to anybody who is not already a listener of our other podcast, Smash Fiction, 
and who might not know who Dan and Kit Mulcairin are, Dan and Kit Mulcairin are two of the hosts of Smash Fiction. They are two very good friends of ours. They're also brilliant and creative people, and uh, their voice talents are something to not behold, but whatever the audio version of behold is. Belisten? Be listen, sure. Uh, <laughs> if you are a Smash Fiction slash Extraordinary League listener, you are, have already heard uh, Dan doing his Skeletor voice, and you know how delightful it is, and how and you know, and you know how much you would want to hear that for an extended period of time. Of course, Kit delightful as well. Megan Bob involved in this uh, this podcast uh, behind the scenes. Do you have any speaking roles? I will at some point. Okay. And my co-writer, my creative spouse in all of this is Marissa Bond. Who has also been on Smash Fiction before. Yes. As a guest. And so be prepared for an insane ride through Eternia. I cannot wait. I can't. I can't <laughs> wait to hear this podcast. I had the opportunity to be a beta listener for it, and I, I failed. <laughs> <laughs> I was unable to be a beta listener because I was having a baby. <laughs> and I, so now I, I am going into this completely blind and just going in with the knowledge that it's going to be spectacular because I know the talents of the people involved. So if you trust me at all, you should go listen to this show, guys. And to subscribe to the feed, all you need to do is go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Garden Plots with Skeletor. And it will take you to our show, and you can get that in your ears. Set that GPS. Yeah, I know. I didn't realize it was going to be GPS Garden Plots of Skeletor, but no, it's so great. it is. It's great, because you should just set it. It'll take you right there. It will. Straight to Eternia. Takes you where you want to go. Snake Mountain. <laughs> Snake Mountain. That's right. <laughs> you have arrived at Snake Mountain. <laughs> anyway. Yes, listen to that show. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we will see you in two weeks with another episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.